Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You need to know exactly where your food's coming from. That's the, the clientele that write the menu every week. Keeping your eyes open and your ear to the ground, essentially, and listening to what people are growing. The integrity, that, that provenance, that ability to not just know where something came from, but to really know the, the ins and outs of how it was raised mm-hmm. is really important. G'day and welcome to another Capital Cookbook 3 podcast. This is the Quicksand Food Connection, and my name's Stefan Postuma. Today I speak with Sasha Sestich. Sasha is the founder of Honor Coffee, a specialty coffee brand here in Canberra. He also founded Project Origin and he was the 2015 World Barista Champion. Sasha knows more about coffee than anyone that I've ever met and he's truly focused on making the best coffee possible. He started with a small cafe in Manica where he spent more money on making quality coffee than he did on anything else and he went on to found Project Origin which is a coffee supplier that focuses on direct trade with farmers and promoting good practices in coffee production in order to give farmers a better understanding of what cafes and coffee roasters want and therefore producing a higher quality product and in turn making more money for those farmers. In 2015, he won the World Barista Championships, which is the highest accolade any barista can achieve. And he taught me a lot in this conversation about specialty coffee, about what it means to directly trade with farmers, and also about how Project Origin helps build communities in the areas of origin that they explore. He's a fantastic guy. I found this conversation extremely interesting and insightful, so I hope that you enjoy my chat with Sasha Sestich from Honor Coffee and Project Origin. Yeah. So many places now. So, yeah, so many it's cafes. Good. Yeah, it is Canada good. Canada is growing a lot, and it's, it's becoming that little hub. Yeah. Uh, we still can do better, of course, but it's yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, Can- Canberra's come a long way. And and yeah, there's still there's still a, there's still a lot a lot to happen, but I think that people are definitely interested. I mean, I think it sort of follows a pattern in Australia in general. People's interest in coffee and taking it seriously, and you see, you know, I mean, the the prime example of it is the fact that Starbucks never survived. You know, people don't want to support it because it's a shit product. You know, so like, do you think that do you think that Canberra like what what sort of your view of people's approach to coffee in Canberra? I think people's approach to hospitality or venues, uh, like I, I do travel throughout the Australia quite a bit and I, I, when I look at a Melbourne, it's not about brand, it's about produce, quality and service. Um, and we, and we, we have a distribution in Sydney and in Sydney we had a battle because no one knew who Ola is. Mm. 
And then when we go there, even though when we do blind tasting with a customer and they say, oh, I like this coffee A better, and then, oh, yeah, that's our coffee, and coffee B would be, you know, Sydney, very popular brand that's locally roasted. And then even though they like our coffee, they'll go back and they say, ah, oh, actually, no, we're going to go with this because this is popular. Mm-hmm. People love it. It's a big brand. So to me, Sydney is very brand driven. Yeah, okay. Um, but then when I look at the Brisbane, to me, Brisbane is like pure franchise, you know. Yeah, right. Like all of this franchise, like Sizzle, they, they still exist in Brisbane. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and they're popular, they're busy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, this is going to be consistent. I'm lazy. I don't care. But I think what's really nice, in my opinion, about Canberra is people do support local. And yeah. they're, they're really proud. If someone locally does something right, they, they sort of, oh, let's go there, let's make an effort and support that business. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, the reason Honor grew as much as it did and we, we have all of these connections throughout the world is because of the support of local community. So, mm. And uh, I think that's, yeah, like when we look at it in Monica, even though there's like quite a few of these franchise coffee concepts, Oliver Brown and this and that, like people still like going to local shops so. yeah of course and it's not only on it like there's a lot of different successful places like red brick and the other guys that are local yeah well they're there's doing, like four or five quality yeah, roasters they're in doing, Canberra now. they're doing a really good job and uh, and they have a really good following mm. and i think what people understand is that in order to have the highest quality coffee you, you kind of have to control the process from at least roasting to putting it on the table putting it in the cup you know like if, if you're buying beans from a third party you know like i mean with what you guys do at owner in terms of training uh, in terms of training and things like that and showing showing different establishments how to how to do your coffee properly but making sure that there's that quality control across the board people know that people know that there's a place all right well this place roasts their own and they only you know pour coffee from their their own roasted things mm. and they've got high levels of quality control and that's what people support people are educated yeah. i guess yeah i mean i think with the young roasters in Canberra, they are it's easy to roast coffee like eight nine years ago when i started i bought a roaster i started roasting i sold it was that good Probably not. <laughs> Back then, like comparing with what was happening for that time, was really good. But uh, it's, in my opinion, this city is not brand driven. Mm. So roaster, small roaster, like and each one of us, like they focused what's in the cup, and just like with your books, what's in your book. And when you open up the book, you start enjoying it and reading it and say, this is really good. Uh, I like it, I want to buy another one. But, and this is mentality of all of the young roasters in ACT. They concentrate on what's in a cup rather than how cool my cup looks like, like Starbucks or, or quite a few other franchise concepts, uh, commercials or uh, shops looking great or not. Uh, and maybe, I, I don't know, maybe that's, you know, they, they've seen it worked with Tona, like Manuka shop eight years ago. You know, renovation costed me $15,000 and I've done everything on my own. Like, <laughs> and, but then on the other hand, we bought a $30,000 coffee machine. Yeah. It didn't make sense <laughs> because we, we truly knew that yeah, what's in a cup and let's stick with that. Mm. And I think, you know, with, with that sort of mentality with, with us and other roasters, it, people can see yeah, this tastes better than what's... <laughs> Yeah. From outside. 
Well, I think that I, I reckon any any business concept, if there's a focus on quality, yeah. you know, you've also got to have a good business mind. Yeah. But if there's a focus on quality from the start and you don't let that falter, yeah. then then that's what that's what makes success. It's, it's as soon as you start cutting corners and trying to save costs on things that you shouldn't, mm. like buying a cheaper coffee machine or yeah. you, you know saying, oh, these beans are such and such less per ton yeah, or whatever it is, exactly. so let's buy them. Yeah. That that it, it all trickles down and translates into the product that you give your customer. And that's what happens usually when you grow your company from sort of medium to large. Exactly. Because if you're buying like 30 or 40 containers of coffee a year, and if because if you're a small roaster, if you're paying your coffee maybe $12 a kilo, green bean or terrine, difference is not that big. But when you're buying 30 or 40 containers, and for that $1 difference is huge. Mm. And that's when usually roasters would say, well, I'm actually going to go this way because I get a lot more money with that direction. Mm. And, but then I'm going to spend a little bit more money on my branding and this, it's going to look nice and that's how we're going to trick mm. customers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, or you, you sort of stay true to what you stand mm. for and chase quality. For sure. Do you, how do you then, like at the start, how did you bring it to the attention of the customer that... You're not going to spend, you know, shitloads of money trying to drill it, in, drill this brand into people's brains. You're going to focus on the quality, and then hopefully over time, people will come to appreciate that. Do you, did you did you make that clear to customers, or did you just sort of let the no. coffee speak for itself? Yeah, I mean, I've started. I'm now 37. <coughs> Honor has been around for eight years, so I've started with coffee back in 2003 uh, we purchased the first coffee shop Hansel and Gretel mm-hmm. and we sort of ran that for five years 2008 I said I want to start my own brand and but I think always concentration was what's in a cup like my first my business plan was written on a napkin in a pub with a few mates <laughs> and uh, I just wrote down okay I'm going to start this new company we're going to call it Kona Coffee I don't know if you remember no uh, it lasted uh, like as a Kona for six months and it's okay what are we going to do I said well we're just going to make the best coffees we can and uh, we're going to serve exceptional coffee to our customers and that was written on a napkin <laughs> I wish I had that napkin today that'd be great uh, <laughs> frame it and and every decision was driven towards to, to that. And if you have a tight budget, and it's simple, like if you know strongly in your head what is it that you want to achieve, you have $50,000 budget to renovate your shop, if you know what your vision is, of course you're going to buy best equipment, best grinder, best machine, best coffee, and then with the leftovers you're going to build your own bench with your hands and you might fall down six months later, but they're not going to drink the bench, they're going to drink the coffee. And yeah. They're going to come back for the coffee. <laughs> yeah. And they'll come back for service. So importing, you know, employing people with a smiles and they have the same vision and passion like myself. Um, it's what sort of brought us where we are today. Mm, for sure. And it's easier when you have a little bit better budget then you can say, oh, let's do our rebranding and let's do this and let's do all the things but that can enhance what we stand for. Mm. But... I guess mission hasn't changed. We always stand for chasing the best cup we can. Mm. And I mean, it seems it seems like something. I don't know. I'd, I'm not too familiar with the history of specialty coffee, but it seems like something that has grown a lot, say, in the last decade. You know, before that, you know, 
sort of there was flat whites and cappuccinos and things like oh, that and, sure. and, and and they were kind of all the same it's like yeah, i don't think people sourced like you know are, are we going to go to this cafe because the coffee's good yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> but, but as uh, i say back then coffee would be like, i mean i remember i, I asked the Manfred from cancer and Gretel asking what's in your blend uh Serving his coffee for a couple of years and being, you know, best shop Cancel Gretel had. And he goes, I can't tell you, it's a family secret. So what do you mean you can't tell me? Like, tell me, like, if it's a Colombia, is it this? Or I want to learn what sort of flavors Colombian coffee has. And no, 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 we've been doing this Calypso blend for like 30 years and I can't <laughs> tell you. And, and without me knowing what's in a blend, I can't educate customer. Yeah. And I can't even make a decent product because I, I don't know what I'm using. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it changed now. Like now you, you go to shop and you say, oh, can I have Ethiopian? Or can I have Geisha? Or, like when you look at any of the blends of any of the roasters, we write down exactly what's in a blend, percentage, why, how you roasted mm. it. Uh, it. More like a wine, I guess. Eh? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, well, that's, that, uh, that's like a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty cool comparison, wine and coffee, because like you say, like you, 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 you're constantly chasing quality and, you know, with the discovery of new farms and working closely with um, producers and also I guess maybe educating producers as to what the clientele over here are looking yeah, for as absolutely. well and trying to achieve things quality is always improving and yeah. it's it's now sort of sort of at a point like wine in the sense where it's like there is good wine and bad wine there is good coffee and bad coffee but quality is expressed in the sort of creativity of the people that are that are making it you know yeah. and, and then it comes down to sort of preference and yeah. you know critique and things like yeah. that which is interesting it's an artisanal industry yeah 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 for sure and yeah as you said connecting the bridge between a farmer and consumer it's it's really important mm. um, i mean if you like coffee in a cafe and you don't know why that coffee tastes the way it tastes like you can't have it again Mm. But then if you say, I really enjoyed it, and that comes from this farm, from this region, from this altitude, it's this varietal, you can sort of remember the next time if you go to whatever cafe, it doesn't need to be like different roaster, you might recognize the same coffee and say, oh, I want to have this. Mm. Uh, yeah. And so we, like at Honor and the cupping room especially, I think that you guys are sort of you put more into educating the customer than a lot of other cafes, even places that roast their own. Um, you do that by, like you say, the signs on the machine, talking about the daily blends and things, and then also like the point of sort of sale between the person who's serving the coffee and the customer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going to bring you something very new. It's a new retail bags. Okay. They can help to well, to get your opinion on it as well. So we're supposed yeah. to launch this new packaging, a new kind of new branding in a way. Because uh, we, we had that issue when we talk coffee, we talk one language, which is like high language. Mm. And then when we talk to consumers, sometimes we confuse them because we're too excited about our craft. <laughs> so we, we said, and then connecting that bridge with the farmers as well. Just like in a wine, like when we, the way we score coffee, it's same like with a wine, it's point, you get a point. Yeah. So we came up with a strategy that we provide customers, we tell farmers, like specialty coffee, like it's called for coffees that score 80 points plus. 
Mm. Uh, for example, in Nona Coffee, we're using minimum 84 points, mm. and then we go 90 plus. Looking at this label here, so this is a green label Project yep. Origin Coffee, which scores between 86 to 89 points. But then this is a gold label, yep. which is 90 plus. Mm. So you as a customer, if it tell you hey, this is 30 dollars a bag or this is 20, you can sort of say, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Instead of thinking, oh, why is this so much expensive? And it's creating confusion. So we're slowly guiding you through the process. And then we have another coffee that's like 83 to 85 points. So mm. people can sort of look at choosing a coffee. Oh, this is my price range. I want to have this many points. That's what I'm going to choose. Just like mm. with a wine. Yeah, Sometimes exactly. Sometimes you're going to buy a $20 wine and then you'll get a... <laughs> Not what's the best for twenty dollars, but it's what suits your palate. Yeah, uh, and which would be the second step. What's suiting my palate? This is my flavor profile. Uh, this coffee, and we kind of wanted to help with the flavor profile. It's got these purple colors. That works perfectly with the trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can expect purple color coffee should have some blueberry notes and stuff like that. Like it's purple. Uh, that's raspberry color, you know. So we're playing with the colors yep. to educate consumers as well. Black bet is obviously black, and you can expect, you know, being black chocolate and notes and, and things like that. Uh, the name founder, but then inside we can actually see exactly where coffee comes from, mm. uh, what are the percentages, and how to make this coffee at home. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and I believe this can help to sort of make people comfortable with the choices, what they buy. 100%. It definitely, it definitely simplifies it yeah. because people, I think, you know, when it comes to educating people about whatever, you've got to make stuff idiot proof kind of in a way, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. you can't like, like exactly like you said, it's like you guys know so much about it and you're yeah. so into the craft that if you give someone a five minute little talk yeah. about this coffee at the end of it, they're kind of going, what was he actually talking yeah. about? But if they can say, yeah. well, this one scored 95 points. And that's why it's more expensive. And yeah. the, this is what you can find in it, you know. And also, I really like the idea of the tasting, um, tasting. the tasting notes and some of those characters that you yeah. can highlight as well. Because yeah. I think when it comes to people that don't have an education in whether it be coffee or wine or something like that, they just need a little trigger in their mm. mind to help them recognize yeah. those things. So, like, if you say to them, you should be seeing a bit of raspberry candy, you know, in, in, in the flavor profile, and then they taste it. And they're like, yes, you're right. But yes. sometimes they might just taste it and go like, I, I, there's something familiar there, but I can't describe I what, what it is. is. Yeah. 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 So it's, and beauty with that is when we talk to our farmers, we can tell producers, now you are black label producer, you're 84 points. Right. Let's walk together. Let's take you to become green label producer mm -hmm. to 86 points. Yep. Let's do this experiment or, you know, process or carbonic maceration or Whatever, whatever you usually do mm. at a farm to develop coffee. And then once we bring them to become a green label producer, of course we pay them more mm. because their coffee is worth more. And then, and that customer can actually come taste this coffee. They can go, oh yeah, that's a green label now. They can go on the website. What is it? Just give them a little bit more, more guidance and make it a bit more approachable. Mm. Like I remember two, three years ago, I had one of my baristas in the cupping room. And we had this random customer walking in a, in a cafe and saying, I'd love to buy some retail coffee for home. And uh, I, I've never made a, you know, AeroPress or French press. Can you show it to me? And he was, actually, it's Hugh Kelly. He's the Australian barista champion now. Mm. But <laughs> back then, he was the person that was very enthusiastic, very knowledgeable, but did not really know how to connect with a customer. 
And so he said, yeah, yeah, I'll spend five minutes, I'll explain you how to make it. It's really easy. So he go, and he gave our, this customer a lesson on the water, about the pH, about TDS, about the yields. And, and then this customer is sort of from smiles and being excited, you can see she's sort of dropping, oh, this is difficult. <laughs> and then he made the French press and then he brings the TDS uh, mirror and starting to measuring soluble yields and what was the extraction ratio and should I go 94 degrees temperature or 93 and, and then this customer goes and this is nah. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go and buy pots. This is too difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but coming up with a recipe and saying, well just we'll spend our time doing the QC and say put 94 degrees water, do this much coffee in, this much coffee out, this is what you're going to taste and enjoy it. Mm. Shouldn't be science. Mm. It's our job to do as much as we can to make it easy, but should yeah. be more enjoyable. Well, that's the thing. I mean, and, and people, like customers, have such a variety of interest. You know yeah. what I mean? Like some people just go, I don't care. I just, I know that it tastes good and that's yeah. all I care about. Yeah. So I don't want to know anything else. I don't have the yeah. time to even think about it. I just want to get it from on a coffee because I know it's a good coffee. Yeah. But some customers like me, because the other day I was at, um, at Monica and Jack was telling someone about Geisha. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about, Jack? And he sat us both down at the bar and was like, let's do Geisha pour over. Come on, I'll yeah. tell you about it. And we were both so interested yeah. in it. We were like, okay, tell me about it. I want to learn. And, you know, there's a big variety out there. Yeah. So you can't sort of bombard everyone with, nice. with that huge amount of information. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, again, like if, if, you, if you see someone buying 90 plus point coffee, that person has obviously interest to talk more and to share the experience. Mm. Like if you're buying $500 bottle of wine, like and if someone can tell you more about that wine, you're going to appreciate it a lot more than... Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's... I think it's very early stages for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of, the, one of the other things that Jack was talking about was the, um, the sort of horizontal tastings at the cupping room that you guys are looking mm -hmm. at doing where you, where you have a, a black, a green and a, and a gold label yeah, tasting yeah. so you yeah. actually can see the difference. You can see the differences as well. Yeah. 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 I think they, they do custom tasting with the regular customers on Tuesday night. Oh, okay. So if you go next time to see our, ask Yelena, uh, when is the next one? It's, it's very educational. Mm. Last, they, they always select different coffees and um, I think the way they cut them, they actually, everyone cups them blind. Okay. And then they show what coffee was what. Yeah, okay. So it's, it's quite a bit of fun. Yeah, I've done a couple of cupping sessions and it's, it's, it's hard because there's so many happening at the same time. You really learn the respect for like, you know, the people that are doing it because there's so many things going on and you're trying to write notes and you're trying to think yeah. about it, like, but then you're on to the next one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I find it difficult, but yeah, it's, it's obviously take, it's a long, long time to learn it properly. Yeah. 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 It does take time. Yeah. Um, talking about then the, you know, we were talking about the farms and communicating directly with the... With the, with the farmers, yep. do you, for people that don't know exactly too much about Project Origin, do you mm -hmm. want to tell a bit about um, how it started and, sure. and what it is? Yeah, so Project Origin started back in 2011. Um, actually, no, 2012. 2011, I was doing direct trade coffee, so I went to Brazil and a few countries. And what I used to do back then is just like, majority of coffee roasters that have opportunity to go to origin and buy their coffees. I'll go to origin, I'll meet with the producer, I'll cup coffees, I'll see, uh, I'm gonna buy this, 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 this is the best, I'll get my coffees and I'll go. Mm. I might be in touch with the producer, I might not, it was not important. If he's 
coffee was not good following year. I said, ah, oh, you didn't pass. Nice knowing you and be done. Mm. Uh, but first time when I went to India, uh, that was late 2011. Like we, we were buying that coffee for, for a year. I didn't go there. It was sort of arranged through the, through the friend that I, I bought a coffee. And I said, well, this is really good coffee. I'm going to go there and I'm going to see. And that India Talanai state, which is used in uh, the Hitman blend, mm-hmm. uh, it's about 30, 40% in there. You know, when we put that India in our blend, like our customers from here started saying, oh, I want to buy this coffee, I want to use this in wholesale. So it has done very good, you know, commercial improvement for our brand. Uh, we, we picked up a lot of accounts, we, we've done really good business. And then I went back to, there to India and I just realized that people there, you know, they live on four or five dollars a day. Uh, they don't have basic facilities, they don't have a toilet, they don't have showers. Uh, there's like 40, 50 families, they don't even have a, like fencing and they have a wildlife um, like national park across. So they have incidents of elephants coming in, leopards, snakes, like obviously snakes can sneak through, but we said, well, this is not sustainable because I'm here being very successful mm. with this coffee for the last eight months. Mm. And if something happens to these people, I can't give this delicious coffee to them. So. I can't just buy coffee and like we need to do a little bit more stuff. So I came kind of half depressed and happy and, and you know, excited and I said, we need to do something, but I don't know what, what is it. And sat down and spoken to Jack with a few leaders and I said, well, let's, let's open up this another company that's not direct trade, which is cool. Direct trade is there, uh, sorry, uh, fair trade, which is interesting, but they don't really highlight the quality. They do these practices and then I care about quality, but I also need to care about fair trade of these farms too. Uh, so we said, well, let's set up this project origin uh, foundation or uh, the company where we pay minimum uh, 50% higher than any certified coffee, which is fair trade in Forest Alliance. Uh, so that's step one. So we, we're going to pay higher prices. And step two, we're going to do, let's let's do something for these farms, like let's organize the programs and we've done quite a few times like Latte Art Gems and um, so when we raise some money we can actually improve their fencing, we can you know build a childcare center for them. Uh, so talking about that particular farm, like we, we've done childcare center, we've done all of the toilet facilities, uh, we've done, we organize like a regular medical camps as, as well and, and over a couple of years that little community has completely changed yeah. and and they are solid now really solid black label um, producers the 85 point producer we've done some experiments with them which we call the purple uh, experiment and so they started producing smaller micro lots which are 88 points uh, so our customers can enjoy that coffee as a single origin and of course our farmers because they are green label they're getting a lot more for their coffee I gave them some of the geishas from Panama a couple of years ago. So there are some seeds, put them in your farms. <laughs> uh, within the next two years, we're going to be able to get some geisha seeds. So nice. hopefully we're planting, uh, we might be able to have even gold label producer from them. Wow. So from farmer that was selling the coffee at, you know, maybe 150 a pound, uh, we pay five, six times more now. Yeah. And with geisha seeds, we're going to be paying 20 times more. Uh, but. When we bring these coffees to you guys, you you know this is a black label, that's certain price, green, gold, and um, 
And I think that's beauty with the project origin system. We don't go to these farms just to buy coffees. We go there to develop communities. Yeah. And kind of we've written on the um, branding or like what we stand for is uh, we are connecting communities through other quality. Yeah. So we care about quality and we will, you know, with experiments I do at the farms, we will help them to improve their coffees. This is one of the reasons I'm writing that book as well because I'm sharing all of my recipes I've done with a lot of different countries. Uh, so people can sort of read as how oh, this is a really good recipe to process coffee. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the coffee you had with Jack that Geisha was carbonic maceration mm-hmm. processed from Panama because that's what we serve at the moment and that's like my own recipe that I've developed. Mm. Uh, so uh, sort of with that approach, that's kind of what Project Origin does. Mm-hmm. We, we buy coffee, uh, we improve the coffee, we, and we connect communities and last 12 months Project Origin has grown to the level that we are buying the farms as well. Mm-hmm. So we have a farm in uh, Honduras, we have a farm in uh, Nicaragua, uh, we're buying a farm in Panama and El Salvador. Mm. And the reason we buy farms is not because we want to cut off all of these producers, it's pretty opposite. We actually use our farms to do research and development. Yeah. So we plant different varietals, different processing, different drying, and then when we see that this works, you know, whatever process works, then we tell the producer next door, please follow this protocol, and we'll be buying your coffees. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a bit of the grand vision of Project Origin. Yeah, awesome. And how does it, like how many, how many farms do you, do you sort of have under Project Origin now? Uh, 200 plus. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's and amazing. we've also organized um, two non-profit auctions this year. Yeah. So we had one in El Salvador and one in Honduras. So we kind of gathered all of the, a lot of different producers that have not small microwaves. And um, we brought international buyers from all over the world and they spend five days in the country. They cut the coffees and then we score the coffees. We selected the best 20 coffees. And uh, all of these coffees went on live online auction. Oh, okay. um, so we raised over half a million dollars in, uh, throughout this auction. We've run it. I wanted to do something that's non-profit. Yeah. Um, I think after winning WBC, I said, I, I want to do a couple good things for the coffee and yep. for the industry and that, that, that was sort of our way to say thank you yeah uh, but i think yeah doing that stuff like has done a lot of good things because it connected a lot of roasters uh that they can go to auction they can sort of cup coffees they can pick coffee from the producer and they can sort of buy their own small market yeah and throughout the project origin we can do logistics and importing and allowing these uh, coffees to find homes that's awesome. Um, what then, I mean, is there still a large proportion of coffee farmers that don't have a direct connection with people like yourself? Absolutely. And they still, yeah, so they still sort of, they, they kind of, I, I feel like they kind of, someone, someone like yourself or someone sort of needs to come along to educate them yeah. on what they can do in order to have consumers like you and then ultimately us. Um, Yeah, I I guess. Pure pure example was uh, this auction that we've done in uh, Honduras. 
the winner, the guy that won, I think he scored 90, just under 92 points. Um, he was surprised that he won because he never sold coffee to anyone direct beforehand. He never, no one ever tasted his coffee before. But he had the best coffee in the country. Yeah. He was selling his coffee to local coyotes. Really? And uh, so he he had a small farm, like two manzanas. He produced manzana, like one and a half hectare. Um, he produces like 30, 35 bags. And that's all he lives on. Yeah. That's his income. And he supports his family with that. But he sells that coffee to Coyote before New York coffee, uh, less than New York coffee exchange price. It's about 18 cents a pound. That same guy, you know, the, the, everyone was crazy about that coffee that he sold and it's on, on, it was sold for $21 a pound. <laughs> you know, it's 21 times more than what he usually gets. You know, it's like 21 years of income. If you make this much per year, well, imagine 20 times, 21 times more. But, and so it's, a, I think 98% of the farms are like him. And 2% of the farms worldwide are connected with the people like myself. Mm. And I mean, specialty coffee did not exist 10 years ago, so you, you can't change like that. Mm. And I think doing as many activities as we can at a farm level, uh, we can make producers yeah, more excited and, and we can find so many other more amazing coffees. And yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, there's such a huge world out there yeah. of, you know, you can only, one person or just your team can only explore yeah. so much of the bloody world exactly. of these farms. Is there, is there anyone, like has anyone outside, um, you, you know, people that work within the coffee industry in Australia, do you, have they sort of approached you and, and sort of, you know, put themselves forward as, as another bean hunter or someone who can go out and find other farms and do this similar sort of work mm. as you? Like, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are quite a few coffee roasters in Australia that do a really good job. Yeah. Uh, like Proud Mary from Melbourne, they, they're doing their own sourcing. From time to time, we do sell them some of our lots, but no one is out at the farms and, you know, connecting. Uh, auction room, uh, there, there's quite a few. Mm. I'd like and see, sometimes that's, it's great for the people I mentioned, they're doing an amazing job, but sometimes it's actually not, people that don't really understand relationships, it's dangerous to have a roaster that has not done that before and for him to go and buy coffee. It's not dangerous because he's gonna get killed. It's dangerous because not necessarily he knows how to do that sort of business and because specialty coffee is all about relationships and and it's not nice to give producers a hope to tell them hey your coffee is tasting great now I'll buy it uh, I'll, I'll give you four or five times more than what you usually get and to do that for two three years but then year number four if coffee from that producer is maybe a little bit lower so oh, I'm not gonna buy it for me anymore and that's not really sustainable business no, in my no, opinion. No. And, and there are quite few, I call them cowboys, that do that activity. Right. Uh, there are quite few people that would say, oh, Sash has done this experiment or that guy has done that experiment. I read it on a blog. I'm gonna tell that to my producer to do it. And cool, they do it, but if it doesn't taste good, you still need to buy it. Yeah. Uh, like I bought coffees that taste like salmon, rotten salmon. Because <laughs> I've given instructions to producers, I said, do this, it's going to take you more than what you usually do. 
Uh, so I'm going to pay you a little bit more. And instead of getting quality that that's, should be better than what I usually pay, I get quality that's completely unacceptable. Yeah. And But I still need to... I, I might not ship the coffee here it's, if it's completely bad, but I, I still need to say thank you for the experiment. Yeah. At least as a coffee buyer, I learned something that this didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Next time I'm not going to do it. So it's my lesson. But I, it should not be producer's lesson. And I should not tell him, oh, actually, it's not tasting right. I'm not going to buy it of you. Yeah. So, I think how you know it, it sounds like fairy tale. Uh, you're gonna go on a farm, you develop recipes, you chase coffees. But a lot of times, we, we as a bias, we need to be prepared to pay for our mistakes mm. uh, rather than expecting producer to do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that you know, with a with an organization like Project Origin, where it's it's not profit driven and it's about it's about developing relationships and helping helping people understand what consumers on the other side of the world want, as yeah. well as developing their communities. It means that it, it means that like that that mission statement from the start means that you're obligated to pay, to pay for yeah. coffees you might not want at the end of the day. I mean, if you're just going going to a farm telling them what you telling them what you want them to do and you know like a cowboy like you say yeah. and it, it, it's completely unsustainable but that's why project origin works yeah is because that's a mission statement from the yeah, very start exactly and yeah absolutely yeah fantastic um, um let's talk quickly about the world barista championships I, I guess you've probably been asked every question under the sun there is to ask about this do do you I uh, think that like is it kind of like now since it's finished yeah is it is it now now that you like I mean you you spent so much time preparing for it and um, you know so much work is it is it now that that's done is it is it almost a relief that now that you've achieved like the highest level of competition that you absolutely. can and now you can put that you can put that aside and focus on other things yeah absolutely I mean I, that was in my head for eight years like I was competing for eight years and. That's all what's on your mind. Yeah. Obviously, it's in my mind being a businessman, you need to look after the staff and business in concept, but always on my mind for the last three years was WBC. Yeah. I, I want to go there and I, I'd love to hold a big trophy one day. Uh, it's it's huge relief. You, know, mm. you can sort of close that chapter of your life mm. and, and say, well, this is achieved, I'm done, I'm, I'm happy, and going to open up a new page and then set yourself another new challenges that you can achieve in mm. future uh, it's biggest relief yeah <laughs> one of me. the biggest reliefs in my life and, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah and it's almost like retirement or something <laughs> it's it like is. <laughs> yeah it's completely you know after it was interesting because I always say after V1 because that's not only my achievement it's, it's a big team and many people behind myself so after we won, we all went, you know, the entire team, we went to a hotel, Sam, Arosta bought a champagne, and he goes, oh, let's, let's get a glass and let's celebrate. And then, you know, we celebrated, and cheese, you know, a bit of speech. And then I said, what next? <laughs> what do I do now? What am I going to do? When I wake up following morning, what's in my head? What yeah. do I think of? Because I know for like a year and a half, at least, and especially like 12 months prior to WBC, every morning when I wake up, First thing is WBC. I go to bed, I think, okay, that was good. I'm one step closer. And when I go to bed, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow in order to be better or as best as I can. Mm. And, but then after you win, you go, 
what I do now. Mm. Uh, it's great though. It must it must be yeah. It just must be like a, a weight lifted off the shoulders. And then for someone like yourself, a business owner running Project Origin, and you know having having some creativity, and and then and then having the freedom to be able to have all that time to pursue other things. Yeah. Like it, it must be a great feeling. Yeah, yeah, as well as as well as the feeling of you know letting yeah. it sink in for the next however long that you yeah, actually won. It took a couple of months. <laughs> Did it? Yeah. It took a couple of months. I remember like following day when I woke up. I said, "Was this a dream?" And I looked at well, trophies here. Betty, <laughs> did I did I win yesterday? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, good. I can sleep again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think the What do you think then your from the start, you like the real reason why you chase that so hard was like what is it? So at the beginning, I started competing because I wanted to learn. Right. Um, like eight years ago in Canberra, there was not no specialty coffee scene, so there was no one I could learn from here. Like, you know about coffee, about better roasting, about better extraction. So I saw opportunity if I go to Australian Barista Comp. We all know that coffee was a lot more developed in Melbourne and in Sydney than in Canberra back then. And I want to say it back then because I do believe things have changed mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, so I was looking to see where can I find my inspiration. Going there and learning and seeing how bad we are was a good learning curve. Yeah. Uh, but after two or three or four years of competing, then you kind of compete to say what you stand for. Mm -hmm. and what you know, what you believe the industry needs to go, the industry needs to you know be at, and how how we can improve. And I think that's in a way when you when you win WBC, like the, the sort of choosing ambassador, someone that can sort of help to develop industry even further. Mm -hmm. And for me, like we we have our beliefs with what's important for coffee, and uh, and. Going on a stage and you know spending 50 minutes talking about my coffee, why is it tasting the way it is, and making an impact, how to taste it better with the entire team. Um, it kind of shows we can do a lot more with the coffee as well, and, uh, and uh, with the barista presentation, like trying to connect that coffee and wine um, industry, and seeing how we can make. A coffee lot more established. Yeah, nice. Uh, I mean, at the other day, like one of these packages came up from that as well. Like, how do we make this approachable and more sustainable, and not just go and do these groundbreaking things, but not communicate that with the consumers? Mm. Uh, yeah. So over time, end goal did change. Like it started off with, with learning, but then it finished off with yes, we do want to win. But I think for us, what was really important is. Why do we want to win? And yeah. then after we win, what is it that we want to do with it? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's a that, like that's a, a pretty a pretty noble way to go about it because I think that and 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 it's great that the you know the people who judge who judge that sort of thing um, appreciate appreciate the integrity of, of of what you do from from start to finish. If there's someone who just wants to win win it because they want to open a new cafe and sell more coffees at the end of the day yeah. and make more money it's good that it's yeah. good that the the organization can sort of see through yeah that. i mean le level is that high that you can truly see what what you taste in a cup yeah how much passion is behind that coffee yeah and obviously when they say why it tastes the way it tastes uh it's 
fairly easy for judges to recognize, you know, that's quality or that's not. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think barista competitions have made all of us and our entire company think, you know, like OCD and like everything has to be perfect and mm -hmm. measured and controlled. And it must be, yeah. And it has helped us a lot in a, in a business, how we think and how, you know, achieving, having high targets and trying to achieve them. Yeah, awesome. All right. Um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Cool. Thanks. Thanks That's for talking fine. to me. Pleasure. <laughs>